Join me as we ask the Lord's blessing on the reading and preaching of his word. Our God, we pray for your spirit's work here in opening our understanding, deepening our insight to the very truth of your word. O Lord, cause us to rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ as he is revealed here in the scriptures. Lord, we desire to see more of him and his work and praise you for it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 35. Hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Amen. Praise the Lord for this his very word. Indeed, this is the word of God for the people of God this morning. Well, beloved in Christ, as spirit-wrought resurrection hope shapes and molds our lives, We have more and more commitment and zeal in pressing forward for Christ, no matter the cost. This is really one of the big messages that Paul has been pressing to us, even in the preceding context of our passage. As we know, counting the cost and knowing God's terms for discipleship is essential for each one of us. However, like the Apostle Paul, 
as we do so, we aren't deterred from following Christ wherever and through whatever he may lead us, even if it would cost us our very lives. As we think about this, we're reminded of the litany of intense suffering that Paul experienced in his ministry for the sake of Christ and the gospel. He was slandered, he was whipped, he was beaten, he was imprisoned, he was stoned and thought to be dead. He was shipwrecked and went through many perils on land and sea. He was hungry and thirsty, cold and naked, just to name a few. But yet, what was his deep concern about? His deep concern was for all the churches. For all the lambs of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul and the apostles were willing to be well familiar, even daily familiar with death's doorstep. As they would lay down their lives for the church. They were willing to stand in jeopardy every hour because of the divinely promised and guaranteed resurrection of the dead. Are we willing to do the same? Are you willing to do the same? Are you prepared, like Paul was, to die daily? We believe the same promise and have the same guarantee. Such jeopardy wasn't only for the apostles, but is for all Christians. And having previously been rebuked by Paul about undealt with sexual sin in their midst, The saints in Corinth needed to think more deeply and honestly about the kind of company that they kept and the effects of the presence of such company in the body. Indeed, evil company corrupts what was once pure and leavens the whole lump from the inside out. And in addition to sexual sin, the Corinthians needed to recognize the error of those who denied the resurrection of the dead for what it was, and they needed to deal with it as they awoke to righteousness. And as we've considered the effects of worldly dualism and distorting the Corinthian view of sexual relationships and resurrected bodies, we find Paul addressing this error more specifically in our text today as he answers the objections and and shows what will really be true of our resurrected bodies when we're glorified. And as we look at this meaty passage, we find Paul giving another series of contrasts. Another series of contrasts to press the truth, to press the point regarding the celestial and the terrestrial in verses 35 through 41. Our bodies sown in corruption and raised in incorruption in verses 42 through 45, as well as the natural and the spiritual in verses 46 through 49. So let's first see how Paul specifically states and raises two questions, really two parts of the objection of the dualists. Look at verse 35. He says, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? And so he takes the first question first. The first part of their objection was this, how how are the dead raised up? In other words, 
By what means? By what power? There were many among the heathen and also among the Sadducees who opposed biblical doctrine, questioning whether it was within the ability and the scope of divine power to make mortal men and women immortal. And yet, does God truly have such resurrection power? Indeed, he does. Absolutely, he does. Consider Ezekiel 37, the first six verses there. We see there the the passage regarding the valley of dry bones. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. And it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. You can see this wonderful illustration and this picture painted in detail. Dry bones everywhere. Very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. The power of God on display. The power of God foretold to dry bones. Jesus speaks of such power in his own resurrection, doesn't he, in John 10, 17 and 18. He says, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Power to lay it down. Power to take it again. Indeed, Christ is almighty. He can easily make mortals take on immortality. But the second part of the objection that Paul brings up in verse 35 is the question, with what body do they come? And this question was raised more by doubters and those who had curiosity about the form and the shape and and whether we will be raised with the same body. Uh, What qualities will our bodies have on that day? And Paul goes on to address this through three illustrations. Again, the apostle is the master illustrator. He does a wonderful job in painting these pictures and communicating truth through such illustration. And the first illustration that he gives, that you see in verse 36, is a horticultural illustration. Look at verse 36. 
Considering these questions, he says what? He says, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. Again, as you hear these words, as you see these illustrations, track with the Apostle Paul here, and even the Holy Spirit that is pressing these truths to us, that's laying it out piece by piece and argument by argument into this wonderful collage and picture, see this illustration of the seed and how this helps the Corinthians, but even us, to understand what is true about resurrected bodies. The objector to the truth of God is truly the foolish one. He is one who is unreasonable and short-sighted, not making the connections that he otherwise should regarding the power and the work of God in the resurrection. And so to help the Corinthians here, Paul uses this illustration and know that this illustration was one that Jesus used himself regarding spiritual truth in John chapter 12. You can turn with me there if you'd like. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. We read there, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came to, up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And note verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. The Lord Jesus here provides wonderful details in this illustration that further paint the picture of what Paul is telling the Corinthians. Right? The wheat falls into the ground and dies. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Christ goes on to say, He who loves his life will will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Matthew Henry, well-known commentator, has this to say that helps us, I think, in understanding the foolish perspective, but also the truth. He says, why should any be so foolish as to imagine that the man once dead cannot be made to be alive again by the same power which every year brings the dead grain to life? 
It is a foolish thing to question the divine power to raise the dead when we see it every day quickening and reviving things that are dead. We truly see it all around us if we would open our eyes and look. The wonderful work and power of God on display even through creation And so what body then is God pleased to give each seed? As Paul speaks about such seed and such a horticultural illustration, the body is one that's unique to each plant. And Paul then applies the same idea in a biological illustration as he goes on in verse 39 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, not all flesh is the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. Beloved, in God's infinite wisdom, he gives each creature a body suitable for its environment. God gives us a body that is suitable for our needs here. He gives fish bodies for water, and he gives birds bodies for the air. But thirdly, Paul provides an astronomical illustration. And think about it. Why should it be a problem for the Corinthians, or even for us, to think that the resurrection body will have a glory that is so superior to the present body that it will be simply astonishing to us to live in a resurrection body when You just need to look up into the sky and observe God's handiwork. There are divinely ordained, beautiful variations within the heavenly bodies as well. Look at verse 40. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. They're not the same. Now, some of you may wonder what the difference is between celestial and terrestrial. What do these words refer to? Well, the celestial are heavenly bodies and the terrestrial are earthly bodies. Heavenly bodies aren't the same as earthly bodies. On a clear night, stand in the dark night Texas sky and and look at your own body there. And then look at the heavenly bodies, and you'll be filled with awe as you see the host of them. And if you could see the heavenly bodies even more clearly, you would be even filled with more awe. And yet God has given each celestial body its own glory. In verse 41, Paul says, There is one glory of the sun. There is another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. We can attest to that even in our own sight and experience, can't we? We look at the bodies in the sky and yes, from a distance, maybe some bigger stars and smaller stars, they're hard for us to differentiate with our naked eye. But the sun and the moon, they're distinct. Planets are distinct from stars. We see each as its own God-given glory, its own God-given distinction. 
just as heavenly bodies are more glorious than earthly bodies now, keep this in mind because this is Paul's message, so our resurrection bodies will be more glorious than our earthly bodies are now. And Paul's big message here is this. If you find the resurrection of the body impossible to believe, it isn't just because you don't believe the gospel. It's because your eyes aren't seeing what God has put in front of you every day of your life. But Paul also gives another contrast, doesn't he, in 42? Sown in corruption and raised in incorruption. That's what he says in 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Okay, so, so here what I've just said in these illustrations. So is the resurrection of the dead. There are distinctions. There are differences in glory. The body is sown in corruption. And it is raised in incorruption. And so Paul's illustration is now applied to the human body that is, quote, sown in corruption, or in other words, dies and is buried. And then is gloriously transformed in the resurrection. I mean, what a wonderful thing. The, the Lord of the universe, what a wonderful thing the Holy Spirit is doing here in and through his word, in and through the preaching of Paul to his people, to not only give correction to what was wrong, to not only correct their, their dualistic thinking, but also to give them great insight, to open their understanding, and to cause them to rejoice in that which is going to be when Christ returns. And what really is true about resurrected bodies and resurrected power. So as a plant is sown and, and then the seed dies and, and, and the plant rises from its seed, importantly, the resurrection body is the same body that is sown, Paul says here, but is transformed. And what amazing transformation takes place? We'll look at 43 and 44. It's sown in dishonor and it's raised in glory. We see these stark contrasts, verse after verse. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. How helpful and wonderful these illustrations and statements by the apostle are to answer their question. In referring to a natural body and a spiritual body, know that the resurrection body will be a physical body. It's not just some kind of phantasm or ghost. The Lord was buried and died. He was raised bodily. He ascended bodily. He will return bodily. We will be raised bodily. And yet, as the natural body is lowered into the grave, dishonored and weak, it will be raised in power as a spiritual body shining in glory fitted for heaven. 
The spiritual body is a body that operates in the full power of the Holy Spirit. And it will gloriously be a body that is fully conformed to the life given by him. Sin is gone. Corruption is gone. Raised in incorruption. Full of life. Imperfection. That is given to us by the Holy Spirit. Consider the the wonderful truths of Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, where it says, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 43, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. In Philippians 3.21, Paul teaches that Jesus will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to his, himself. Does Christ have full resurrection power? Is Christ Almighty? Yes, he is. Praise the Lord. No doubt, cover to cover in the scriptures. But in verse 45, we see that Paul now expands on his first Adam and second Adam discussion. Considering these things, he says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Beloved, whereas in verse 22 of this chapter, Paul began the contrast of the first Adam and the second Adam by pointing to the reality of Adam bringing forth death and Christ making many alive in him, Paul brings clarity to what he's teaching us as he expands on that contrast here. And interestingly, and it's not just a Greek nerdy interest, it's really helpful here. Know that the Greek word for being, suke, in this verse, is related to the word natural, sukekos, in verse 44. And the Greek word for spirit, pneuma, in this verse, is also related to the word spiritual, pneumatikos, in verse 44. There are these connections that help us to see the significance and the work of our Lord. Those in the first Adam are living beings, but those who are in Christ are made alive in him unto eternal life. Jesus gives spiritual life to both body and soul to those who he has redeemed from sin and death. There is a clear difference between living and life-giving. And praise the Lord for the person and work of Christ for us and the Holy Spirit's work in us. For we are pointed to both persons of the Trinity here. And praise the Lord that Jesus has revealed himself and declared himself to be the resurrection and the life. 
John eleven twenty five. And in John 5, verse 20 and 21, says, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does, and He will show Him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the, as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. Christ is life-giving Spirit. Then we see a final set of contrasts here in 46 through 49 as Paul speaks of the natural and the spiritual. In 46 he says, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. Order matters. It makes a difference. It's important. Paul here is saying that, it is, that it's necessary that we take our origin in Adam to be like him before we're renewed in Jesus Christ. And that's why we begin with a living soul. Because in the order of things, being born precedes being born again. Living comes before rising again. First the earth, and then heaven. The physical, and then life everlasting. But the body in both. But Paul gives this final contrast in 47, saying the first man was of the earth, made of dust. And and here comes another piece of expansion on the first and last Adam. The second man is the Lord from heaven, which was the man of dust, as was the man of dust. So also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have been born, the image of the man of dust we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. My friends, God created Adam as a creature of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And yet Christ came down from heaven. Notice, he's not just the man from heaven, he's the Lord from heaven. He came down from heaven in his incarnation He bodily ascended into heaven after his resurrection and will bodily return in glory from heaven again. But further, it was the earthly. And as was the earthly, so also are those who are earthly. And as is the heavenly, so also those who are heavenly. We are connected to our covenant and federal head. And what is true of him will be true of us. The earthly will give way to the heavenly. It's true that we already experience some of the blessings of the age to come. However, we still await the consummation. We await the resurrection and the completion of God's work of redemption. We have been born in the image of Adam and belong to Jesus Christ. And as we do so, we are being conformed now and are destined to bear the full and the pure image of the second Adam when he returns. Wonderful transformation. Wonderful completion. Oh, how we long for that completion. How creation groans for that completion. 
but it's coming. He is coming. We don't need to doubt about our bodies, but we need to take great joy, having open eyes and understanding regarding what God promises will be true. And so, oh, what a glorious day that will be. Oh, what a wonderful day it will be when we are with Jesus in our resurrected, glorified bodies. Awe and wonder at the power and the promises of your Lord on that day. Have the eyes of your understanding wide open as as you look all around you. And as you look up and you, you praise God for his handiwork and all that he has made knowing that your resurrection body will be even more glorious than your earthly body is now. But also, beloved, take great joy and be excited that though you walk and you groan, though our bodies age and they ache and they decay now, as we have all experienced nothing other than our earthly, weak body that is subject to such things and will one day be sown in corruption and buried in the ground. It will be gloriously transformed, beloved. Take, take joy and be excited in, in this transformation and it's being raised in incorruption, operating in the full power of the Spirit, being fitted never to perish in heaven with God for all eternity. Man, that's exciting. That's exciting. And I pray that the contrast between the first and second Adam here in this passage have blessed you and have deepened your knowledge and raised your praise of Christ, whose image you and I are being conformed to even now and whose image we will bear in its fullness on that wonderful day. Again, praise the Lord for this truth as this is coming, this is happening, no doubt, no wonder. The Lord does not reveal every aspect and nuance and and peace that we may have questions about in the scriptures. But what he does reveal to us is to strengthen our faith and to build our joy, to deepen our longing. For we know these things will be true. Amen. Praise God for his word.